we had one of our periodic immersive retreat experiences we call boot camps. And we were talking about the tendency in our, in our lives to be in a place where we're supposed to fix the other. And uh, we, we do an exercise where uh, we, we, we have very constrained instructions or constraining instructions. And we ask participants to speak with one another in a way that is designed to engage them to notice the impulse to fix, but not be able to fix. And it's a simple thing, which is you're not allowed to speak. You're just to listen. And one woman came back and I said, you know, so how was that for you? And she said, it was so freeing to listen without feeling responsible for fixing, making better, or making the other person's difference. And so then I turned to her partner and I said, well, what was that like for you? And she said, I felt heard. I felt received. Mm -hmm. I felt acknowledged. And I think that there's a resilient freedom in that presence. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Think about a moment in your life where it all felt overwhelming. A moment where life took you to your knees. How did you get up? How did you carry on? How has that moment shaped and is continuing to shape your life and who you are today? And where did your capacity to get up, your resiliency, where did that come from? We talk a lot about resiliency at Reboot. In fact, it's one of the core outcomes of what we call the Reboot Bet. But how often do we really see how our own resiliency can shift and change over time? How does one really become more resilient? And what if more resiliency actually means we have more freedom? And what if the path to growing our resiliency lies not on our own, but in how we are with others? We're honored to welcome again a great teacher of ours, Roshi Joan Halifax, to the podcast. Roshi Joan joins Terry to discuss her newest book, Standing at the Edge, Finding Freedom Where Fear and Courage Meet. And in this conversation, they discuss not only the lever we have available to all of us to enhance our resiliency, to withstand those moments at the edge and turn them into strengths, but how the path to greater freedom lies in how we show up with others. Enjoy. I'm Rory Sterling. I'm a founding partner here at BGF Ventures. We're based in London and we're a £200 million early stage venture fund. I would recommend uh, Reboot Bootcamp, hands down. I, if you're on the edge and thinking about it, I would just do it. You'll, you won't regret it for a second. I think my key, my key reflection from the Bootcamp weekend is that you can't remove from the work that we do on a daily basis is, is incredibly human. So it's not sitting in front of a computer. You know, we are, we are interacting with founders and with teams and making decisions that impact people's lives. So it is uh, imperative and, it, and it, it's your responsibility to invest in yourself if you care about the companies that you invest in to make that dynamic successful. Join us for the 2019 VC Bootcamp this January 24th to 27th in Boulder, Colorado. Over this long weekend, you'll work with the Reboot team and your peers to uncover your authentic leadership style, helping you to become the best investor, 
board member, and supporter you can be. To learn more and apply, head to reboot.io slash VC Bootcamp. Hey, Joan, how are you? It's wonderful to see you again. Well, it's great to connect with you, Jerry. I'm uh, really grateful to have this opportunity also to, through you, to uh, connect with um, the subject of leadership and all the people that uh, are touched by your work. Uh, Well, thank you. You know, it's... uh... I'm in a funny place in the sense that um, I think that part of my job is to be an interlocutor Mm. between um, different worlds. And in one capacity, it's kind of the world of, to the degree that I can interpret it, the Dharma and the crazy world of startup leadership and what is it like to live in a startup. So I feel like I'm, I'm in this funny little mix of places and um, working with folks like you helps me do that. Well, also I think it helps us because we learn a lot about how to translate our world and work into um, the sort of lay world of corporate perspectives, uh, business perspectives, you know, what is it to, you know, I work mostly with clinicians, for example. Mm -hmm. Clinicians who are in the the field of really helping people, those sort of helping professions. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, But, you know, I I actually, it's funny, I I don't like to use the word help so much because Mm. I want to just cite um, uh, a wonderful quote from Rachel Naomi Reming. She said that, um, uh, uh, fixing, helping, and serving um, are three different ways we see uh, life. When we s- fix, we see life as broken. Mm. When we help, we see life as weak. And when we serve, we see life as whole. Oh, so, I love that. You know, yeah, I, I do too. Mm. <laughs> That's why it's in my memory so mm. deeply. Mm. So, it's, you know, for me, what's fascinating about the issue of leadership um, really comes out of the work of Robert Greenleaf in terms of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. How does a leader serve not only the vision, but the people who are involved with uh, implementing the vision? That is, you know, all the people on the team. Mm-hmm. So see, and, and how do we serve their highest good, their highest, not only principles, but their capacities? Well, I, I, I think that's a, a really important frame. And I'm going to suggest we hold that as a context and, and, and dive into what is prompting this discussion in some ways, which is um, your, your newest book, uh, Standing at the Edge. Um, which I, I here it we're, is. We're both holding up <laughs> copies and really excited, and and we both have advanced reading copies, which makes me feel really special. My ego is dancing nicely. My little ego is dancing nicely. So, um, standing at the edge, the subtitle, which by the way, I always find subtitles super helpful. Finding freedom where fear and courage meet. Finding freedom where fear and courage meet. Um, you know, we had a wonderful conversation before for the podcast on grace, your model for leadership, your model for a way of being in the world. And here again, I think you're um, 
leaning into an important new space um, in this book. And if we can start off with, tell me about edge states. You know, they, they are uh, five internal and interpersonal states that I've identified as being really critical in terms of our capacities as human beings to be in a social and environmental world, mm. a world where there are others, a world where um, we want to uh, foster the best in ourselves and others, and also a world that's characterized by fundamental civility, mm. by altruism, by empathy, by integrity, by respect, and by engagement. So these five states, Jerry, are states that I became aware of as extremely relevant because I work not only with clinicians, I work with CEOs, with educators, people who work in human rights organizations, with politicians, which is a human rights organization, though many politicians don't remember that. (laughs) But um, these five different aspects became very uh, visible for me because what I recognized in listening to others as they talked about the difficulties they encounter in the work of service they do in their various professions is that each of these different virtues, if you will, has a fraught side, has Mm -hmm. a shadow side. And that in order for us to uphold ourselves on the high edge, say, of altruism and not fall into pathological altruism, um, what I discovered, which I think is very important, is that compassion is a kind of lever that makes it possible for us to transform our experience of the fraught side, the challenging side of altruism, of pathological altruism. Um, in back onto the high edge, the healthy aspect of altruism. So these are these edge states. Compassion is not an edge state. It is, will, if you will, the transforming context where our edge states can shift back. But I also make, I think, a really important point in the book that falling over the edge is actually, and we don't have to seek it, it will happen. But it is something that really builds character. Mm. We mm. learn and um, we get, you know, a good dose mm. of uh, not only learning, but opening up ourselves to a kind of humility mm. Mm. and making compassion even more accessible um, so, through the medium of our failures. So I, I, I'm going to take it back a little bit um, and I'm going to read to you from your own work. Okay. Edges are places where opposites meet. Edges are places where opposites meet. Where fear meets courage and suffering meets freedom. Where solid ground ends in a cliff face. Where we can gain a view that takes in so much more of our world. And where we need to maintain great awareness lest we trip and fall. So... Tell me about that. Tell me about edge states. You know, they are um, those states which uh, teach us, which make um, our human relationships viable, and uh, they also have traps within them. Mm. 
And being aware of those traps um, helps us to maintain our footing within the experience of altruism or empathy or integrity or respect or engagement. And when we do fall over the edge, when we experience pathological altruism, when we experience empathic distress, when we are disrespectful, when we are um, subject to moral suffering, when we have the experience of burnout, compassion is this brilliant uh, capacity within us that can transform the fraught side back into the experience of that edge state as a virtue. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, make a connection to some of the previous work that we do at Reboot. Mm-hmm. So we're both fans of this notion of the warrior stance of strong back, open heart. We both see that as really an important state. And um, one of the things that we experience at Reboot, um, you know, we have this, we have this uh, somewhat simplistic way of describing the work that we see ourselves as doing. And that is embodied in something I call the formula, which goes like this. Practical skills, plus what I call radical self-inquiry, which is skillful and caring, plus shared experiences, so the ability to speak with others, equals enhanced leadership and greater resiliency. So practical skills, how do I do what I'm supposed to do? Radical self-inquiry, why do I do what I do in the ways in which I do it? What's Mm -hmm. that And then being able to speak to that creates leadership that is more humane and most important from where I sit, fosters a sense of resiliency. Now, what I hear in in a lot of the work around edge states and a lot of the work implicit in in your book is a recognition that uh, living at places where freedom and courage meet, living at places between, say, suffering and freedom, or in the case of the traditional Reboot audience, living in a place where I am called to learn more, to do more, to grow, is a kind of edge state. Absolutely. And the danger in that edge state is falling into uh, pathological altruism, as you called it, or I would argue a kind of uh, shadow-based aggression. And what I'm hearing you suggest and really lay out in the book is that the way to avoid the burnout that comes from this is to approach compassion from a uh, f- from a very different angle than we traditionally approach it. Am I hearing that correctly? You are, and it's I'm 
I love how you are taking this material um, and interpreting it through the lens of this powerful algorithm that you've developed as a trainer mm. of leaders. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, um, you know, one of the points that I make in the book is that by standing at the edge, you're able to take in the entire landscape. You're not just in the virtue, if you will. Mm-hmm. You're you're not just, you know, uh, in peace, but not understanding war. Mm. You're not just uh, in safety and not understanding abuse. Mm-hmm. But you're on the edge between worlds, but the high edge that allows you to have a wider, much more radical, inclusive view. Mm. Inclusive, perhaps, of even the, because you speak to this in the book, even the self-aggrandizing aspects of our altruistic impulses. Am I hearing that right? Oh, well, that is um, absolutely. It's like people who walk around with bodhisattva buttons (laughs) on their shirt. Exactly. You know, many of us, for example, um, uh, engage in acts that are helpful to others or serving others or um, uh, kind, but um, are really caught in a kind of ego Mm -hmm. need for social recognition, for appreciation, or even a kind of an economics of service where there's a sort of quid pro quo expected. There's Um, a return expected. and, and, and And to make the connection to startup leadership, what I see as a reflection of of what you've just identified is when the leader unconsciously, unintentionally uses the organization for self-aggrandizement or for for, um, moving in a way that is designed either to um, enhance or, their identity to enhance our identity and 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 but also you know mm-hmm. it's also about enhancing one's self-esteem so it's not just a negative in other words um one of the fascinating things jerry about compassion is that um uh, when we engage in acts of compassion we experience a sense of moral elevation Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an enhancement of our self-esteem because we feel morally enhanced. Well, but I think you're, I think you're, you're proposing something radically uh, interesting, uh, and that is that uh, we, we typically think of compassion in that Robert Greenleaf servant leadership model. Yeah. of how am I in service to others? And it is there. It is true. When a leader acts from a place of compassion, they are in service. And that does create a greater, contribute to a greater good. And it does create this sort of moral uplift and aff- affirmation of our self-esteem. But I'm hearing something else that I think is equally important. And that is, and so many people who listen to this podcast are listening because, quite frankly, Roshi, their hearts are broken. They're scared. They're beyond burned out. They're at that point where they're 
really um, hurt and lost. I, I remember one time uh, meeting with Ani Pema Chodron, and she was asking me about the work that I do. And I was talking about, oh, how I, I, I said, oh, the, the, these folks, they're, they're, their whole sense of self is, has been obliterated. And there's a long pause, and she says, oh, oh, you mean in a negative way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and um, that's a little Buddhist joke about, you know, the absence of an inherent self identity. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But 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 what but so many folks are 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 struggling. And even some of the folks who listen to the podcast who are not in a startup have begun listening to it and just say my relationship to work is such a source of suffering. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you say is beyond an altruistic, a traditional altruistic view of being in service to others, that cultivating compassion and, and, be, and staying at the edge state, standing on the edge. Yeah, that's right. Creates a kind of resiliency. Exactly. That enables us to withstand the vagaries of being in that place. Exactly. And... Um, it's almost, you could say, like physical training in the sense that um, when we push ourselves physically in a good way, uh, our muscles break down and repair at a high, themselves at a higher order, more strength, uh, more resilience. So, um, you know, there's a whole field of stress where there's distress and then there's you stress. We need a certain kind of stress in our lives in order for ourselves to be strong. And so to, to play with the analogy for a moment, what I hear you saying is that compassion, genuine acts of compassion, however mixed our motivations may be, however tainted by egotism that our altruism may be, Let's leave that aside for a moment. Genuine acts of compassion and compassionate leadership fosters the ability to withstand the forces that cause burnout. Exactly. You're, you're well, Jerry. It's always a pleasure to. Be with you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you get it so roundly and soundly. Oh. Precisely. Compassion, and do you know, Jerry, it's fascinating because uh, research in neuroscience, immunology, and social psychology indicates, for example, that compassion enhances our immune response. How fascinating. Um, it, in, it reduces stress. It's associated with the pleasure networks in our brain. Mm. Um, it is associated with increased longevity. Mm. So, so I'm going to give you a picture, and then, and then we're going to talk about this for a moment. So a client will call me, usually a video chat, because I'm, 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 I'm living in my boulder bubble. And so here I am on a phone, and the client uh, is in what I call a hair-on-fire moment. Ah, Jerry, what do I do? And, and my coaching would be, Let's find the thing that you can actually, the genuine act of compassion that you can lean into to mitigate the effect of being spent and burned out, of feeling that I'm at the end of my rope, that I'm at the edge and I'm going to leap. 
to, to my demise. Now I'm picturing the clients responding to, to this advice and them saying, are you crazy? <laughs> I might do a few steps before that. Okay, so tell me about that. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to ask you, if, if you were to be sitting in front of a client who is um, uh, decompensating, falling yeah. apart, uh, fragmented, frightened, um, I wouldn't probably tell them to uh, catch the next plane to Haiti (laughs) (laughs) or to come with Roshi Joan on her nomads clinics in Nepal. Um, I would probably enter into a relational inquiry just as you do with this person, um, creating a sense of uh, fostering a sense of safety in connection with this person, which in itself is a refuge for that person. Uh, so what I'm hearing is is you're identifying something. And I think your impulse is, is right. I think this is what good coaching would do. And I think this is what good counseling would do, which is, I'm going to mangle the quote, but Freud once, I believe, said, structure before content. So in that moment where the client, where the person, where the other, and you know, speaking to the CEOs who are listening, where your staff member is coming in and decompensating, falling apart before your eyes, what you do is you provide a kind of structure for them, a scaffolding for them to sort of gather their their own wits about them. Yeah, and that you could that feels like something that is around them. And that's exactly what I'm speaking about. Um, It's also something, you know, at another level that's more personal, it's between you and them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, uh, um, the experience of connection, of uh, being held, of um, having someone who bears witness without judgment um, to whatever is going on uh, that is threatening Mm-hmm. to one's uh, safety, identity, well-being, um, to have somebody hold that in a way that is uh, respectful, that is characterized by integrity, that is empathic, is really important. And th- that's what I think, you know, a person like you, I hope I do the same, um, that you would bring to your clients, I would bring to my students. I, I I think that um, I I think that the the observation you're making is really important and and as is often the case, elucidating it and and articulating it elevates it and makes it clearer that there's actually a step here. And I'm going to describe what you've just laid out, you know, what I call the scaffolding for the other mm-hmm. as an act of compassion. Absolutely. It's an act of compassion um, that the coach, uh, that spontaneously arises in the coach. It's not like the coach saying, now I'm going to be compassionate. The coach actually um, brings his attention to his client. The coach feels concern for his client. Um, The coach bears witness to whatever is happening in the client, in addition to recognizing that the client really has the solution. 
Yes. Well, the and coach I'm, is not the expert. That's right. I'm going to say that uh, uh, you've been using the term coach because you, uh, I'm imagining looking at the video, you're looking at me. But the truth is what we're really talking about is the other with a capital O. Because uh-huh. right? the opportunity is for a clinician. The opportunity is for a leader. The opportunity from my lips to God's ears for our politicians to hold that stance to say, I'm going to stand in a way that uh, I, will, I, I will use my experience to create, to create a safe container for the pain and suffering that is existing between us so that this other person who in this moment doesn't have that capacity has the capacity to process that. Yeah. Beautiful, Jerry. Yeah. Okay. Now, but I think that there's a challenge implicit in this, which I think your book speaks to. I think your work speaks to. I think that I have experienced myself, which is that for me to hold that space as a leader, um, as the other in a relationship, uh, to, to create that container, I have to have done my own work. Meaning, I think part of the challenge that we see, and we see this in organizations all the time, is a kind of amplification of the decompensation that occurs. Um, Several months back, I did a a, a podcast conversation with Dan Harris and Ben Rubin. And what we talked about is the amplifying effect of each of their anxious states. One gets anxious, the other gets more anxious, and then it just goes back and forth. And in the same kind of place, when 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 we are working with someone who is in effect decompensating and falling apart, whether it's my employee walks in and says, "I can't handle this," the leader's responsibility, I think, is to pause, do a parasympathetic nervous system reset. How do you do that? Take a breath. Thank you. <laughs> Literally take a breath. You sit there and you say, Whew. <laughs> you find ground beneath your butt or between, beneath your feet. You notice without uh, falling uh, into the seductive trap of your own thoughts. And you hold yourself steady. I mean, this is, you're basically describing the, the grace process, which is G, gathering your attention, R, recalling your intention, attuning to your body, heart, and mind, attuning to the other, considering, because also discernment is really important, insight, uh, intuition, um, uh, bringing forth our expertise, considering what will really serve, and then engaging. That's grace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and what I'm hearing is that grace is the way to meet the edge. That's it. Grace is a suite of um, features, including attention and um, affect and uh, our moral ground, our intention and so forth, that actually prime compassion, that nourish compassion to come forth. Mm. So, you know, one of the things like you were saying, um, the in-breath, I mean, the in-breath stimulates the parasympathetic system, according to neuroscience, but also um, 
uh, the in-breath is a place where we can allocate or put our attention mm. and um, c- release all of the distractions and anxieties uh, that um, are causing us to feel threatened. Mm. So, you know, just bringing our attention to our breath. Meditation is such a powerful medium for us to transform the suffering that arises in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a micro-meditation. In that I'm moment. Saying. So there's that, 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 that moment. There's the staff member comes in, hair on fire. You as a leader in this space of how do I respond? Um, we respond with either from a place of, uh, or we respond from a servant leadership perspective. I was going to say like a coach, but no, we respond from a servant leadership. Yeah. And as such, you know, um, it's really important for us to get grounded because the, the connection with this person who's having a difficult time can um, affect us. We could take it on. We right. can get, you know, very upregulated and feel fragile or threatened ourselves. And so part of what, what, you know, is so important for us to do is to learn how to ground ourselves. Mm. And, and, and from that place, when we respond, just even that stance is a compassionate stance. And then when we respond from that place, the acts that we take could then be genuinely compassionate exactly and it's you know it's very difficult for us not to be operating out of our biases um when we're ungrounded Mm. in other words we're just a kind of mass of reactivity Mm. and what grounding and also cherry i think what's so important is to you know the kind of uh, moral ground not just this sort of embodied ground um, or attentional grounding, but the moral ground. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we engaged in this kind of relationship at this moment? And as a servant leader, you know, sitting in front of a heartbroken person um, and to uh, be able to be a resource for them as they discover or build their own capacities. It's really important. So um, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna shift the lens a little bit because um, I think that this area that I'm gonna speak to can be really helpful. And it's a funny line of inquiry that I would bring to you, which is, I know a little bit about your story. Tell me why this is so important to you. You know, it's important both personally and also in terms of um, what I'm seeing in the world today. You know, uh, all of these edge states that I describe, Jerry, are ones that are familiar to me um, in terms of my own experience. Uh, I've known pathological altruism. I've overextended myself. Uh, I've harmed people when I've been trying to help them by being unskillful. Um, I've experienced empathic distress. I've been in uh, uh, many interactions where um, I uh, was in resonance with a person who was suffering profoundly, and I 
completely lost my boundaries and took on that suffering vicariously. Um, uh, you know, when it comes to integrity, I have experienced morals uh, injury. I have seen things that have caused my, my heart to break. Uh, I know I'm well familiar with moral distress when I can see a way through a situation where integrity is being violated and um, I can't implement a good shift because of external circumstances. I know moral outrage. I experience it a lot in relation to our, our current political situation or the treatment of refugees or what I've seen in the medical system. Um, I've, I've known moral apathy. I've turned away at times from situations of suffering when I feel overwhelmed. Um, so, you know, integrity violation is something, loss of integrity or moral suffering is something I know from personal experience and I see everywhere. And knowing how this affects individuals and how it's affecting our society and really our world, our environment and our global culture. And then respect and disrespect. Um, I've been subjected to bullying. I've been bullied top down and bottom up. Hmm. Um, you know, as a teacher, I've had students um, uh, treat me in ways that were really pretty rough. And um, I've also had been subject to top-down bullying and also horizontal hostility um, where um, peers have tried to take me out, uh, if you will. So the issue of respect and disrespect is a very personal uh, experience for me. And then when it comes to engagement, um, like you, I'm a kind of person who's wholeheartedly engaged. I'm very industrious. I love my work. And there are times when I go a little bit too far and almost slip into burnout. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I hear burnout, you know, everywhere. Um, teachers, clinicians, uh, business people, people in Silicon Valley. It's just um, uh, in uh, epidemic proportions. So one of the reasons I wrote this book, not just for clinicians, but really for all the sectors that I've been talking about, including parents, mm. um, that I, you know, I feel people, we need to identify the challenges, mm. but also um, there are pathways of transforming these challenges into strengths. Was that you helpful? Know, it was very helpful. And, and, you know, there are, there are a number of times in which when we're recording these podcasts that I wish that actually we had the videos uh, uh, that we were recording because then people would have been able to see your eyes. Uh, and when you were speaking, you were remembering. And when we remember, there is this personal connection and powerful motivation going on. And, and, and what, what, I, what I witnessed, it was almost like a, a newsreel and some of our listeners are too young to even know what a newsreel is. <laughs> but it was almost like a newsreel. And I saw you, because many of the people who know you may not know this about you. I saw you on the front lines of fighting for civil rights in the 1960s. Mm. I saw you in your journey through the Dharma and in your process of becoming Roshi Joan. I saw all of that flashing forward, and I saw... 
a woman I respect, a teacher that whose words have lifted my life, whose presence has created, um, has added to whatever wisdom that I then pass along. I saw her being acted upon in a way that was painful and hurtful. And I saw her losing her own self occasionally because we're all capable of that. And um, I saw the book and I saw your work as something that I can really relate to, which is seeking the answers to the questions that we ourselves carry. How do I exist in a world that seems hell-bent on distressing me? <laughs> well, and that, you know, I, I, it's kind of, a, we're in a world where uh, there's a tremendous flow of kindness and compassion on one side of the equation. On the other, there's, it's a quite mean world that we're in at this time. And I feel a kind of moral responsibility um, at my age to um, sh share what I've learned um, through my own difficulties and my own errors and also having been trusted by enough people who have shared their experience with me. Mm -hmm. um, where we can use this little bit of wisdom that I've gained as a way to maybe nourish a more sane world, mm. a healthier world. Mm. So it's, uh, 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 it's part of that uh, wish to alleviate suffering. Exactly. Mine as well as everyone else's. Because it's all one big suffering. Yeah. So uh, I, you will, we'll start to wrap, but I want to bring it back to a particular question that, that I have found intriguing, which is um, going back to the book for a moment. In a sense, it's a pathway towards resiliency. Absolutely. It is a path toward resiliency. Actually, that is the point of the book. Mm. And, and yet there's also a very powerful message, which is that in that movement towards resiliency is this notion of freedom. Yes. So make that connection for me, because that's actually not something that we spend a lot of time talking about uh, at, at, on my side of the equation at Reboot and what we're doing. Tell me about freedom. And I know it's like such a big question, but... Um, resilience means that we are pliable, nimble, that we have this capacity to adapt, that we can uphold ourselves in the midst of these complex conditions of life as we experience it uh, day in and day out. And when we can't, uh, we come brittle and we break. And freedom is not breaking. Freedom is bending. Freedom is being supple. Freedom is that capacity to transform the adversities that we encounter and others encounter um, into strengths. Mm -hmm. And the strength, in a way, the core strength that we're talking about here is freedom. It's freedom from suffering, mm -hmm. freedom from attachment, freedom from uh, clinging, mm -hmm. freedom from the need to have an ego, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the kind of freedom I'm talking about. It's in a way freedom even from our role as a leader. I want I want I want to bring it back to something that occurred just a few weeks ago. We had one of our uh, periodic immersive retreat experiences we call boot camps, and um, we were talking about um, the tendency in our in our lives to be in a place where we're supposed to fix the other. And um, we, we do an exercise where uh, we, we, we have very constrained instructions or constraining instructions. And we ask uh, participants to speak with one another in a way that is uh, designed to, to engage them to notice the impulse to fix, but not be able to fix. And it's a simple thing, which is you're not allowed to speak. You're just to listen. Okay. And the folks come back and we usually do this and and we send them out on a walk to do this because I think that there's something um, that interrupts the power structure when we walk side by side versus sitting across from each other. All of a sudden there becomes this conference table between us and a power structure versus two friends going for a walk. And one woman came back and I said, you know, so how was that for you? And she said, it was so freeing to listen without feeling responsible for fixing, making better, or making the other person's difference. And so then I turned to her partner and I said, well, what was that like for you? And she said, I felt heard. I felt received. Mm -hmm. I felt acknowledged. And I think that there's a resilient freedom in that presence. Yeah. Does this resonate? It totally uh, resonates. You know, um, my teacher is Roshi Bernie Glassman. Mm. And he uh, and his late wife developed these three tenets of a peacemaker. And the first one is of not knowing beginner's mind, um, Mm. having curiosity, being open to whatever is arising. The second is bearing witness. Mm. And this is exactly what this woman is talking about, I think. It's um, this capacity to be fully present, but not to feel that you have to fix or help. Bearing witness is a way that we serve. It's a way that we receive the world as it is. And then the third tenet, Jerry, is compassionate action. Mm-hmm. That um, our engagement is based on the experience of not knowing, of being open, not being stupid, but being open, <laughs> being curious, uh, in just um, being present for, and then bearing witness that capacity to to not be separate from things as they are, and then compassionate action arising from from that. And so to, to, to bring it all together, perhaps, I think what we're saying is that when we're at that edge state and we cultivate compassion by bearing witness, mm-hmm. by holding ourselves with presence and creating a scaffolding, a container for the other to have whatever experience they're having, when we lead from that place, it creates freedom. Freedom for me to just be, freedom for the other to just be, and so that we can then 
later in a few minutes, roll up our sleeves and get to work and do the work that needs to be done. Compassion in action. That's it. Jerry, I feel like you're my teacher. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the, the greatest honors I've had. Thank you. I, you know what, what? What? I mean, you just summarized my book in a way that I could <laughs> never have done. It's so wonderful. Thank you for taking the time with us today, uh, and thank you for writing the book, Jerry. It's been an honor to be with you this morning. I just you, thank you so much. You too. You too. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode. Go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. I wish I could tell anybody who's like in that place of they're stuck and they're tired and they're scared and they're lonely. And you could name a thousand other emotions or feelings. Like I just wish that I could tell them that there is a way to see yourself through that. And yes, Mm -hmm. you have to walk through it (laughs) and do the work. (laughs) And there is something there for you that will bring you the most amazing life that you've ever had. Are you in the midst of a major life change and feeling alone in the quagmire of feelings? Are you longing for more meaning in your personal or professional life? Or are you already in the midst of the turmoil and excitement of a business or role transition? The Reboot Quest is a truly one-of-a-kind experience to support startup CEOs, founders, and leaders who are confronted with personal and professional questions that simply won't go away. This September 6th through 14th, join Reboot Guides Jim Marsden and Jade Shear for a -a one-of-a-kind nine-day adventure in Wolf Creek, Montana. You'll return with the more authentic self emerging, seeing more clearly your work to be done in the world. To learn more and apply for the Reboot Quest, go to reboot.io slash quest.